So today we are continuing this series in the book of Colossians. It's been just an awesome uh, experience for me to study it, to read it, to meditate on it, to just kind of dive into ask, just ask God what He's speaking. I call this series the Battle for Supremacy. Um, it's interesting, again, the reason why I love how this book is written is Paul writes it in such a way of laying a foundation in Colossians 1. We're going to get there in, in a moment. I'm going to start in Colossians 1. I'm going to start every week in Colossians 1 because I think it's very important that we remember who Jesus is. Who Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is declaring who Jesus is. And then out of that place, he gives us very practical ways to live and how to live a godly life, how to follow Christ and what that means. But we start in the place of Jesus being supreme in our lives. Um, last week we were in uh, the beginning of Colossians chapter 3. This week we're going to specifically look at verses 10 through 17. That's the only place we're going to get this morning. Um, but it's real interesting how Paul tells us to live at the beginning of Colossians 3. He says, set your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The reality of eternity. Paul taught us that we are strangers. We are, you know, some, some translations say that we are aliens. Some of you are more alien than others. So, um, I'll take that first um, But we, because we are strangers, we are foreigners. This world, as the old as the old song, says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you need to live with the reality that there is an eternal idea, there's an eternal reality after this life. That this life isn't just all that we live for. And I understand that it's very difficult sometimes because we live in the reality of this world and things happen. You know, we live day to day, we have to, you know, work, we have to function, we are in relationships, and, and, and see there's this reality. But Paul says, be continually reminded that we live more for, uh, more than just this earth, but we live for eternity, the eternal kingdom. And that's why Jesus, when he came to the earth, and, and you know, he set things right spiritually when he went to the cross. But notice where his disciples, you know, they were a little bit confused. Remember, they were asking at one time, is this the time that you're going to take over? And his going to the cross seemed like a great defeat, yet it was the greatest victory. But in an earthly mindset, it looked horrific. I mean, it was horrific what happened to him. But thank God that he went through it, that we would have eternal life. And then even after he rose from the dead, he did not, at that time, bring in an earthly kingdom to take over the earthly kingdom. Now, he is supreme over everything, but at one time he will, at, at one time in the future, he will come and he will reign supreme, ruling over every authority that has ever been known. And he will be King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I know he is that already, but he will establish his kingdom over all things, and he will set everything right. And Paul reminds us that we are just sojourners. We are passing through, and it's really important for us to understand that. That Christ is supreme. We are here for a temporary time. And as Athena prayed earlier, even as wonderful as the United States of America 
is, and we thank God that we live here. We have been a blessed nation in a lot of ways. It is not a perfect kingdom. It is not the kingdom of God. It is temporary. And you think of what the, the apostles and the disciples were living through in the first century where you know, oppression and persecution surrounded them. And that's why Paul even enduring what he endured, endured with imprisonment and beatings and mistreatment. He said, this world, this is all temporary. This world's not my home. And at some point, I'm going to be there. Philippians, he says, I wish I was already there, but for your sake, I'm still here. He's basically saying, no offense, but you guys aren't that great. I'd rather be there. I'd rather be in eternity, but for your sake, I'm here, and I will proclaim the message of the gospel. I will preach the gospel. I will live for Jesus as long as I have breath. But, guys, there is something way better on the other side. And it's an eternal kingdom. And we have to be reminded of that. Even as we, again, in the last week, we talked specifically about the Supreme Court and what they just ruled on. And, and people are kind of, you know, there's, you know, definitely people have an opinion, if you haven't noticed. Some strong opinions out there, and some people are celebrating, some people are devastated. And as the people of God, we must be different, and we must keep our eyes on Jesus, who is supreme over all things who will rule and reign, and He will be victorious at the end of this. And so we get devastated sometimes, and I'm not saying it's not a disappointment, but we get devastated sometimes when we have our eyes on the wrong thing. We're looking for America to be our answer. Or we're looking for certain things about America to be our answer. We're looking for the Republican Party to be our answer. That is not going to be our answer. Now, we should be a part of the process. Thank God we can vote and thank God that we can be a part of a democratic process. But, folks, at the end of it all, Jesus reigns supreme. Set your heart and your minds on things above. And then Paul, um, in that place, he says, you know, if Christ is supreme, and as you set your heart on things above, he says, cast off like, like a garment. Cast off and he lifts some things. Sexual immorality, greed, impurities, lust. He lifts a number of things. And then if you look at other passages of Scripture, he talks about hatred, unforgiveness, favoritism, or we, we can say prejudice. To cast those things off. And there are, through the New Testament, we are called to repent from our lives to Christ and cast off those things that would cause us to stumble and fall. Because he reminds us of the grace that we have in Christ that we can be able to push away from those things. Repent and purposefully push away and say, I don't want to live that way any longer. So very quickly, let's go to Colossians 1. Let's look at this key passage again. And it's really important for us to understand what Paul is saying here as we move along. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and He is supreme. That means first, preeminent, ruler, ultimate authority. He's the chief, and He has the final step. That's what supreme means. He is over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything is created through Him and for Him. Everything. 
He is, he existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning to come over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Not just most things. He's first in everything. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And again, starting at that place, Paul writes, get that, get that figured out in your own heart. Is Christ the king in your heart? Because there's a lot of people that we like Jesus, we like the Savior part of Jesus, we like the love part of Jesus, but we forget that He is also Lord, supreme, preeminent. Is He that in my heart? Does He lead me? Am I on the throne or is He on the throne? And these are questions we have to wrestle through. Is He supreme in my life? You know, the holiday that we celebrated yesterday, the, the, the Independence Day, it's very interesting, you know, they to, to try to get away from oppressive rule from England. You, know, you have people come and establish a new country, a new government governed by laws, and they signed this declaration of independence. We are saying we are independent from the oppression that we were under, and we are signing this New, basically, the, the document for the new country that we are independent of that and we are going to become a new land and a new country, a new government. And then after that, of course, there was laws that they would be governed by in this new place. And I think it's interesting as, as citizens of heaven, as sojourners through Colossians 3, we should be making in our hearts a declaration of dependence on Christ as ruler, supreme, Lord of our lives. We are not independent from Him. And I understand the idea of independence from oppressive rule. And we should be casting off oppressive things in our lives, but we should be signing our own declaration of dependence upon the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm dependent on you. I desperately need you every day. So it's peace between in your life. And then from that place, again, starting in verse 10, we're going to read this and then I'm going to just kind of break it down. We're going to go verse by verse as kind of eight keys in living a new life. And so Colossians 3, 10 to 17, here's what Paul says. Again, he's laying the foundation of Christ the supreme. This earth is temporary, so your heart and your mind on things above, and so then he gets into how we should live. Verse 10, put on your new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Since God clothes you to be the holy people who He loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Paul wrote that way, and I'll be getting that in a moment, how he writes. He didn't mind throwing on to consider us to Christ. Hey, Christ forgave you, you might want to forgive other people. Above all, fill yourself with love which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes to Christ rule in your heart. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. 
Let the message about Christ and all its riches fill your life. Seek and counsel each other with all the wisdom that He gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whenever, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Interesting as you, as we go through that, the context is Paul is writing this from prison. That gives us a little understanding of how he looked at this place being temporary. He understood that his imprisonment was temporary because he belonged to Jesus. And one of these days, he's thinking, I'm going to be there. And I'm writing this so when he's talking about being thankful. And in Philippians, he talks about being joyful. First Thessalonians, be joyful. All of these are prison letters. He's writing them from prison. And so there's something that had happened to his heart that said, I understand this is temporary. I don't like the circumstances I'm in. This is very difficult. And we will go through times that are hard, but he continually fixed his eyes on Jesus. So how does he call us to live in this new life? So we're going to just look at these one by one. So let's go to the first one. Number one. Put on the new nature, be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. To, to put on the idea that is revealed as being a Christ follower, it's a purposeful and intentional act to put on the new nature, to remind us that we have a new nature in Jesus. Just as with Christ's strength and the grace of God, we can put off, and that would be last week, he says, put off, cast it off. We can purposely, actively turn from those things that are dragging us down, the sins that would so easily take us out. So we put off and we put on, we purposely, actively put on the new nature given to us by Jesus. And how do we do that? And if you look at the second part is to learn to know your Creator. So learn to know your Creator. The word know there is more than just head knowledge. It's more than just I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I just, and that the word know is, an, is, is a word of intimacy there. To know Him, to walk with Him, to be in relationship with Him, to be known by Him. And that's what it says that we grow, we understand that this is how we put on the new nature, we grow to know Him more and more and become like Him. And so we're invited into this beautiful thing called relationship with God. That if we could, if we could just cast that, and that was one of the, I think one of the, one of the biggest revelations, the one of the most joyful revelations in my own heart, because I grew up in a very legalistic home. We went to church all the time. And you know, you're, and I've shared a little bit of this before, but you're, you know, I remember being more afraid of hell than anything, and that's what drove me. It was, there was nothing relational really about it. I was just deeply in fear of going to hell. And it wasn't until later on that I started recognizing that God loved me and He wanted an actual relationship with me, that He didn't need me, but He chose me to be His. And man, what that does to your heart is that Jesus, you died for me to know me in relationship. But then how do we know Him? In this place of relationship, we, we seek Him. 
This is how we put on the new nature. Seek Him. Talk to Him. Pray to Him. Set aside, aside time. Paul says pray continually. And again, that's not a, you know, just walking around mumbling, but it's little blessed prayers. Be thankful. Just recognizing, God, help me through this day. Help me through this moment. If I'm having a negative thought, if I'm having a just that you're talking about, God, help me. Give me strength that we're talking to Him because He wants to walk alongside us. Read His Word. That is where He is. The revelation of who He is. Be committed to the house of God around other people that are on the journey like you. Doug talked about being accountable. Being accountable to others. Because sometimes we think that we can just be better. I can just put on the new nature by my own strength, my own willpower. I, I, need to, I just need to stop this sin by my own strength, and, and, and it always leads to frustration. But when we commit every day to walking with Him, receiving His love, making that declaration of dependence, I cannot do this without you. I desperately need you. Then we begin to put on His new nature. It's when Paul, in Second Corinthians, he said that, you know, he that is in Christ is a new creation. We begin to put on the new nature. And it's a process, because you know what? Relationship is a process. I think sometimes we go, well, Lord, help me with this, and I'm, I'm all better, and I don't have that struggle anymore, ever. And sometimes that can happen, but that's rare. Most of the time, Jesus says, I want to give you my spirit. I'm going to walk with you. And then you get a little farther down the line, and then all of a sudden, I'm not struggling with that sin in, in, as much as I did. And it begins to trail off of you as you're walking with Christ as opposed to focusing on the sin and saying, I really need to get free from it. We focus on Jesus, loving Him. And then we walk in freedom because He steps us through. Number two, verse 11. He says this, in, your, in this new life, it doesn't matter. And he, and he gives them a list there. The passage says this. It says in verse 11, in Christ, speaking of, of, of Jesus, let me go to the page right after that. Right there we go. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile. And he gives a list. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarians, Scythians, slave or free, Christ is all. That matters. So what is Paul talking about? He's talking about, first of all, he's shooting down favoritism. Because some of the Jews that had come to know Christ, some of the Jews rejected Christ as Messiah, but you know, obviously those disciples and those, you know, those people in that, that first century, they were Jews that were coming to faith in Christ. Paul later on ministers to the Gentiles, thank God. But the Jews, when they got the revelation, Jesus as Messiah, He fulfills the law, we see Him. They thought it was exclusively for them. We're the, we're the chosen ones, and we're the only ones that can be saved. And Paul is saying this, he's saying, because of Christ, the gospel is for everybody. The good news is not just for you Jews, the good news is for the Gentiles. Of course, that could be offensive to some Jews. You know, it was the, the wicked, yucky Gentiles. And Paul is saying, in Christ, in, the, in this new life, doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile. But then you can read Paul's letter. Some of that pride beginning to get into the Gentiles. 
that God was somehow, well, we, we've got it now. God is forsaking the Jews because He's given us this. And Paul saying, no, it doesn't matter. It's for Jews, it's for Gentiles. Then he talking and he takes it a little bit further. He's a circumcised or uncircumcised. The Gentiles, you know, circumcision was an Old Testament idea of covenant before God. We have it today because of health things. But back then it was a symbolic of having a covenant with God. But then the Jews said, we followed the rules, therefore we get salvation. And so even Paul is saying, this is not about being a better rule follower than the next guy. The Pharisees were the greatest rule followers, yet their hearts were far removed from understanding God. And Jesus rebuked them for that. He said, you have all the right answers, but your hearts are far from God. You are great rule followers. And so he, he's kind of tucking in, doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, rule followers. The gospel for everyone. Then he goes into barbarians or Scythians. And I did a little search in this. Obviously, we, we think of barbarians, we think of three bad people the barbarians. And that's an obvious thing. But then who are the Scythians that Paul mentions here? Barbarians were bad, Scythians were, they made the barbarians look like the Mickey Mouse Club. I can put it in my own. That's the message box. <laughs> they were much worse. And, and so Paul is even saying, you have to be dictated by your past, whether you're barbarians, Scythians, Scythians were, they were savage people. And he said the gospel is even for the savage, the worst of the worst, who we would deem, and we kind of, you know, put people in categories. These people, yeah, they're not so bad. These people, these people are really bad. I'm here to the Scythians. And Paul said, it's for them. Do not think that this is a favor to them. The gospel is for every human being on planet Earth. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what things that you have done. The gospel is for us. The gospel is for you. Thank God for the cross that makes the same to even to everyone. And then verse 12, he gets into how we begin to treat each other. We talked about this last week. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so just since you, since you belong to Jesus, and if Jesus is really supreme, if he's preeminent in your life, we must guard how we treat people. We must be careful how we treat people. We need to remember that we were lost and we were lost in our own sins and Christ died for us. And so therefore, out of that place, show mercy. We need to be careful how we treat people when we disagree with them. And that's why this whole thing in, in culture, when you're the last week and everybody's up in arms about the, the Supreme Court and the ruling and everything, and it's okay to disagree, but it's how we disagree. Because the world is just filled with is launching these barbs at each other and, and being mean-spirited, and people in the church can get there. And we just we're, we're, we just cast verbal stones at people. And Jesus is saying, it must be different with us. Clothe yourself with compassion and mercy. And Carrie gave us the word. The kindness of God is what leads people to repentance. 
Yes, there is a time where we behold the kindness and severity of God. He is Savior and He's also Judge. He's merciful, yet He is very righteous. And He doesn't step out of one and become another. He is incompetent at all. But we must be very careful how we treat people. Because we want them to come to know Christ. And, and, and I don't have it up there, but last week, you know, Paul told Timothy, he said, he said, be gentle with those who oppose the truth, for perhaps they would come to know the truth. And so there's a way to disagree. We need to guard our hearts and we need to clothe ourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love and not in harshness. Then he gets into number four, is verse, verse 13. And this is where it starts hitting home for us how we treat each other in the body of Christ, in the, in the family of God. Make allowance for each other's faults. In other words, give room to each other. Because sometimes we tend to want to be merciful to ourselves and be judgmental to others. We demand grace for ourselves and we demand justice for each other. We've got to guard our hearts and he says, make life. Give people room. Give each other room. That doesn't mean that you just justify their faults. I mean, loving each other and saying, I forgive you and I can move on. And he says, forgive anyone who offends you. Anyone who offends you, forgive them. And then Paul did not mind throwing the Jesus card. He does it all over the place. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Paul is sitting there going, okay, I tell you what, it, it, you don't have to forgive them, but remember what Jesus did for you, and then, and then just kind of meditate on that a little bit before, as you're holding on to your own forgiveness. You have him look at the cross and go, you still want to not forgive? He didn't mind throwing the Jesus card and saying, our, our example is Jesus himself. Forgive each other. Forgive each other. This is radically different from how the world operates. And Paul understands the reality of relationships, right? We're going to offend one another. Sorry if that offends you, but we're going to. We're going to get offended. It just happens. Misunderstandings that maybe we are having a bad day. We say things we don't maybe don't mean. Maybe we say things we do mean, and we're just out of a place of irritability. We snap at each other, but nobody else has a problem but me, right? Nobody else does that, right? You don't do it in your home. You don't do it with your family members. Everybody, you guys walk in peace all the time, right? It's never any disagreements or offense. And the home is where it really is very real. Because we know each other so well. We know each other better than anyone else. And those are the people that sometimes we laugh at or we say things. But it can happen in a church because the church is a family. And we're doing life together. And the enemy wants to drive a wedge in between our relationships. He wants to come in and he wants to uh, have a major on the minor. Or, again, 
sometimes we may not even mean it, but we, we, we offend one another. And then what do we do? What is our response? And, and Paul said, it's got to be different with you. The world, they disconnect, they run from each other. They say, I'm not speaking to you ever again. But it should not happen in the household faith. It should not happen. Make allowance for each other. Give each other room. Forgive each other. Move on. Don't hold on to it. I love that he says, you know, I, make an honest three children for I've got faults. I know that surprises some of you. Some of you are like, I know that. You do have faults. And so do you. So what do we do? What is our, what is our response? And again, what happens is a lot of it is we run away or we disconnect. We isolate ourselves. And the problem with doing that is you run right into the trap of the enemy. Where John Bavier talks about the, the, that the bait of Satan is offense. Not offense, Elijah. Offense. One time I was saying, I, I'm talking about offense, and Elijah is offense. Like an actual offense. It's funny. Um, But the, the bait of the enemy is to is to play on the offense and then isolate you, and then he can lie to you, and he can maybe just try to break the relationship up, or again do damage to your heart. And people begin to believe all kinds of things when they have isolated themselves instead of going to a brother and sister, loving each other, letting it go, moving on, and talking to one another. And so Paul's getting very real on how we do life together as the church. We're called to be in unity with each other. Because we all bring dysfunction to the table. Right? How we're raised. I talked, you know, I told you a little bit about how I was raised in a very legalistic church home. And some of you have that similar story. Some of you have a different story where you weren't raised in any kind of spiritual atmosphere whatsoever. And so we all bring these dysfunctions into to the table. We bring our hurts, our brokenness, and all of these things that have shaped us and formed us and how we operate and how we see the world, we bring it to the table. The problem is that we think everybody sees it like we do, and, and they don't. That's why we have to make room for each other. But in that world, there's opportunity to be offended. How will we respond? Because when the world begins to see that we're responding in a different spirit, we, we respond in mercy instead of hatefulness and kindness and compassion and humility and patience. We begin to forgive each other. We make an allowance for each other. What kind of statement, what kind of message does that preach to the world? What is going on in, in, in your midst? What's so different about you guys? Peter says, be ready to give an answer to the hope that's in you. Because if they come in here and all they see is backbiting and people separating and people not speaking to each other and holding on to grudges and, and they see it in here, why would they want what we have? It should be different among us. Because the gospel 
is really preached by our actions. There is a time to proclaim, but I tell you what, it is the loudest message that we preach is our lives. Paul says, as far as it's concerned, with you be at peace with all men. So I ask this question, who do you need to mend with? Who do you need to reach out to? Because it should be different with all. That doesn't mean that they will reach back. That doesn't mean that they will even receive what you have to say. That doesn't matter. I, I, one of my prayers is, God, I want to be right with you and I want to be right with others. When I lay my head down at night on my pillow, I want to know that I'm at peace with people. And if there's something that we need to make right, we need to be diligent to do that. Then verse, uh, verse 14, this is number 5. Let's go here. Above all, I'm going to ask the close of this. I'm going to pick up this message next week. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. What is Paul saying here? Love is the glue that should be binding you together. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Harmony is unity. So let love drive on. What kind of love is he talking about? In spite of what the culture says that love is love, love isn't love. Okay? Let me go ahead and put that to rest. The predominant usage of the word love in the New Testament is the word agape. Most of you guys know that. It's the Greek word agape, which means self-sacrificial love. It means laying my life down kind of love. We are demanded to love each other. And Paul says that's the, that love is the glue that will hold you together. When we are commanded to love one another in Scripture, he says love one another. Paul, is, Paul and James and John, when he says love each other, that's the word agape. Self-sacrificially love each other. Not just have a, you know, a, a, a nice affection for one another. Or a circumstantial love that you love and kind of this, like a contractual love that as long as it works out and if they're treating you right, that's when you love them. He said, no, even if they hate you. Jesus said, even if your enemy hates you, you need to love them. That's what drove Jesus on the cross to say, Father, forgive them. The ones that just beat him nearly to death, he said, Father, forgive them. Well, how is he able to do that? Agape love, self-sacrificial love that he modeled on the cross for us. He laid his life down. Agape. When, when husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loves the church, he's not saying the feely, ooey, gooey, emotional love your wife. Like, no, he says agape love your wife in spite of feelings, in spite of where you're at in life, whether you feel it or not, self-sacrificially love your wife. When we're told as the body of Christ to love each other, self-sacrificially love each other. When we're told that how Christ loved us, that's what he's talking about. All through the New Testament. Now there are other words for love that are given in the New Testament. There is brotherly love, phileo love, 
nurturing, caring love that we have. There is also Eros love that I won't get into because of PG-13 or whatever, but Eros love, there is that love between a husband and wife that we know and what the health talks more about. Um, there are love, but this is the predominant, this is the foundation one. Those others are important, but he says, you must love each other. Agape, self-sacrificially, first. That's that love that is predominant through the New Testament. You know, that the word love is so, is so overused in our culture. You know, I love ice cream. I'm not afraid to admit it. The German family has a really strong love for ice cream. Not an agape love, thank God. But we are fondly affectionate towards ice cream. Um, grew up, it was all family reunions, we had ice cream, and uh, other people made cookies, we made, we made cookies too, but ice cream was the main thing. And I can say I love ice cream, but it kind of loses something, I can have a fond affection for it, but again, we cannot lose the power of the word agape, self-sacrificial love. Again, it's ultimately modeled by Jesus himself. What does it say? It's saying, I will lay down my life to you. I will lay down my life to myself. If Christ is supreme, remember, the way I take myself off the throne is to understand he loves me self-sacrificially, so I want to love him self-sacrificially and put him as ruler in my life. So it's laying down my rights to myself. It's laying down the rights, the the, the sins of my flesh or my agenda. That's what agape love drives us to. We cannot walk in it until we understand that's how he loves us. We receive that agape love and that enables us to love others. When we're struggling with loving others that way and we continually hold on to the rights to ourselves, what is happening is we are struggling here. We're struggling receiving His love. But when we understand how He loves us, that He modeled it by laying His life down, this is how I demonstrate my love for you. When we get that revelation, I know we hear it a lot, but when we truly get it in our hearts, it's amazing that we're able to begin to love others that way. It's seeing Jesus as that He's enough for me. He's sufficient for me. He's the one that completes me. He's all that I need. And then out of that, He loves me. Then He loves through me. And that's what gives us the ability to love and forgive when we don't feel like it. Because it's a love that goes beyond feelings. It's I can serve and give up my time and be joyful about it as opposed to I must do this for God to like me more and I have to do this and we begrudgingly serve God but we serve Him out of joy and love because we understand His love for us. It's how we make allowance for each other. It's how we forgive one another. It's how we operate in the home and in the church how it works out in our lives. I can be content with not being in the limelight. I can crucify my passions and not be led by them. 
That's why last week, you know, again, Paul talks about all the stuff to put off. Our, our sexuality isn't our identity. It's a gift to be stewarded just like anything else that we're given as a gift. But when we understand self-sacrifice of love, I'm not, I'm not defined by my sexuality. I'm not defined by this thing. I'm defined by who He says I am. And I'm complete in Him. And then out of love, I, I give of myself, I give of my time, I give of my resources because I believe the gospel mission. I can honor and respect even if a person doesn't deserve it. Have you ever been in those situations? People that are over you and some, you know, teachers or bosses or, you know, people that may be in authority and, and you feel like I, they don't deserve my respect, but out of self-sacrificial love, agape love, I can give them honor and respect even when I don't agree with them. And remember what Paul said? He said, it's the love of Christ that compels me. Again, he's not talking about the emotional love. He's saying the agape, self-sacrificial love, that the love that you have to take up my cross, that's what compels me. That's what me. Because I understand that he loves me. And this is, again, this is counterculture. The world doesn't operate like this. And when they see it in us, when we see us living it out, again, they're going to want to know what the hope is. And I'm going to, again, just kind of tie everything together because um, I think more than ever we need this message. More than ever, we need to understand and receive the love of Christ so that we can love others. We need it now in our lives more than we ever have in the culture that we live, in the life that we live, because the, no matter what happens in America, the gospel of the kingdom of God is still alive and it's still effective and it's still real and Jesus is on the throne. He's not back in the grave. He didn't go into depression last Friday. He is calling us to be different. He's calling us as foreigners in a foreign land, saying, don't put your hope in this temporary life. Put, put your hope in me. And then while you're still here, like Paul, there will be a day as we belong to him, we'll get to see him face to face. But while we are here, we have work to do. And our work is to spread the gospel of Jesus, to shine the light of Christ, to spread the good news, and we also do it by how we see each other. Let's stand together. Jesus, we, again, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace and your Thank you for your self-sacrificial love. But Lord, you demonstrated while we were still sinners, while we were at our worst, you gave your very best. Lord, it's not that we deserved it, but you gave it freely. Lord, we acknowledge that we are dependent on you. We declare, make a declaration of dependence on Jesus today. Lord, for our lives, for how we walk with you. Lord, for our families, our marriages, our, Lord, 
as we go to school and as we go to work and for the different things that we do and as we come in contact with our neighbors as we come in contact with people in our community and our region, Lord God, that you have called us to display the love of God in and through us. Lord, I pray, Lord, once again that we would make you supreme ruler over everything. We would give you our hearts each and every day to live for you. Lord, again, we thank you that you are preeminent, supreme first in all things. We honor you, we bless you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.